Welcome back to the greatest show on earth, Imposter Syndrome, a golf podcast uh, where Fitter and Builder discuss all things golf. I'm your host, Todd Howe. With me is my co-host and master club fitter at True Spec in Beverly Hills, living the high life, Mr. Sean Fagan. How are you, my man? Uh, I'm doing very well, Todd. It was great to finally uh, play around with you this year. And we are cooking. We are almost at the end of January already. I know. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it was good to play with you on the weekend. Yeah, it was. We had a great group. Rustic Canyon, Skins. I won some money for making par on the six hole. I was the only person to make a par on the six hole. How about that? <laughs> that hole is uh, it's quite difficult. Yeah, it was a beast. I made par. TJ three-putted from 10 feet. Um, job done. $27.50 richer. Um What's that hat you've got on? I got uh, Brentwood Country Club, which is um, nestled in Brentwood, LA. Very close to Riviera. Um, very family-friendly country club. Uh, long par threes at that place. And uh, a location that I could almost walk to from my apartment. And it's a lovely day at Brentwood. Any day you get a chance to go out there. I've never played Brentwood, so um, keep your old mate in mind. <laughs> I don't know how much pull I got, but um, I'll keep you in mind. How about that? <laughs> Hat stories with Sean Fagan. Um, huge thank you to everyone who's been listening in all over the world. Listeners in Canada, Mexico, the United Kingdom, Germany, Australia, Philippines, and Indonesia. We are global. Amazing. Amazing. Coming up on this week's episode, we're talking more about choosing the right golf ball and the importance of standardizing on one ball. Um, we thought we'd continue this hot off the back of an awful review uh, on my golf spot of the new Kirkland golf ball. So we think it warrants more of a discussion. Um, more new equipment for 2024 and some key equipment announcements, including Ventus Blue. We're talking the PGA Tour. We're talking the DP World Tour. Live Golf is uh, coming up on February 2nd at Mayakoba. Live Golfers are currently still chilling with their collective billions before it all kicks off. Um, with a new member today. Yeah, with a new member. Just today, as we record this podcast, Wednesday, January 24th, Adrian Moronk, the six foot six pole, pulled out of the Farmers Insurance Open and is now reportedly going to live, or is this a done deal? Uh, playing for the cliques, I believe. The four woods. What is a clique? It's a four wood. Oh, is it really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. There you go. I know a lot of useless knowledge, I promise. <laughs> um, the date is set for the feel like Rory McElroy for a day round. Let's go. This is, we got the match, but this is the real match. Oh, man. It's going to expose our wedge game and putting so much. It's going to no, be no, embarrassing. No. But what's your prediction? Do you have like a set expectation of how many strokes playing from the up tees or the the white tees are going to be relative to the black tees? I honestly don't. I'm I'm going to spend from now till next week. Well, not that that just sounds like I'm obsessed with this, but at some point you are on next week. I'm going to be looking at you know what the percentage differences are if I'm say going to be hitting a five iron into a green normally, and now I'm hitting an eight iron. How much more likely am I going to be, you know, to hit a green in regulation with a shorter club? Yeah, I mean, 
I feel like it's probably just a four shot benefit. I, I really don't think it's much more than that. However, I love talking about the human element when it comes to equipment. I think there is a mindset that shifts when you move up that tee. I play a lot of courses over 7,000 yards. And quite frankly, I barely hit the ball far enough to play at those distances. The point I'm trying to make is I'm constantly trying to squeeze a little bit more distance out of basically every swing to kind of make up for that little gap with my ball speed relative to the back tees that I'm usually playing. And I wonder if playing from the up tees, my swing doesn't need to feel quite as tense. It doesn't need to feel quite as fast and hard. And the quicker I get, the more as a lefty, my ball starts straight and turns dead right. And I'm hoping that having smaller chunks to bite off of, of the golf course will lead me to at least trying to keep the ball a little bit more straight. You know, obviously it's a big advantage. You play a par four that's 290 yards relative to 360 or 360 relative to 440. And, you know, if that's worth half a shot each time you play, it could be more than four shots, but that's kind of my guess. I think it's about a four shot difference. Yeah. Well, we're going to go into that more a little later. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going with two to three shots. Okay. But we're going to talk more about that in, an, in a little bit. A new segment starting next week. Well, starting this week, actually, um, we will be answering your questions. Uh, they could be equipment-related questions. They could be golf-related questions or a subject on golf that you want to talk about. If you're drunk, it's late, and you want to rant, leave a message. We'll play it. Um, we might even take UFO questions. <laughs> we don't know yet. We don't know yet. That could be a completely different can of worms that we're opening. I love the uh, mailbag, though. This is great. The mailbag sounds pretty damn good. I mean, all you need to do is call Encino Golf Lab on 323-230-3005, and leave a voicemail with your question. Um, try and keep it to uh, PG-13. In under 30 seconds. In under 30 seconds, <laughs> I think is good. Yeah, yeah. Let's do this now. We've got some ring-ins that have left some questions. Sean hasn't heard them. So uh, here is question number one. Ace man, clutch boy, Waystar checking in. Quick question for you. I see a lot of broomstick putters on tour. It seems to be way more popular in the last year or two. How come I see no amateurs using the broomstick? Should more amateurs use a broomstick putter? What do you say? Mm. Todd, why don't you uh, give us your insight on this first? I don't know. I, uh, I just think it's probably a little bit more difficult for amateurs to switch to a broomstick putter. I mean, you're talking about a pretty big mechanical change. Um, and I don't know whether, I don't know whether amateurs really want to fork out for a broomstick putter on a whim. That's, yeah, my um, I think they're really hard to test. There's just not that many shops that are readily available with a bunch of different options that have someone willing to, you know, cut, bend, extend, re-grip, you know, work with your stroke and actually build this. It's a luxury being a tour player, right? Where you are kind of the race car and your pit crew is changing the tires and tweaking the suspension and all of that. It's great to have, um, you know, options when it comes to irons and drivers and, you know, the custom options that I'm able to provide at my job. 
But when it comes to a putter, there's a cost benefit analysis that really just doesn't really add up with the math. I do also think that obviously there's been some advantages for certain players. And you see Adam Scott, you see Bernard Langer is probably the one that I think of the most when I think about a long putter. I do think that it's such a paradigm shift in technique that if you aren't fully dedicated to it for years, it's really hard to break some of the habits. And that's where I see the broomstick putter being more of a fad for a lot of different amateur golfers. Um, And because that thing is so heavy, I think your touch and your speed control, there's another huge adjustment. But I think it's a good question, Waystar. And, you know, you kind of just, if you're going to do it, you kind of have to buy it and work with it on your own. You know, I think uh, working with a, and trying to get one in play is, is really, you know, a, it's a process for each individual. Yeah. And it, and it probably doesn't make for a very good carrying experience. I mean, it, it can only be 48 inches long, right? And it adds a lot of weight to your bag. So if yeah. you've got someone huffing it for you, great. But yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that comes with it. I think it's very complicated. Putting is the most simple part of the game and the most complicated part, as I always like to contradict myself. And you can make it a lot more complicated with you know, a club that's completely different than what pretty much anyone else is usually playing. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, All right, moving right along. Number two question. You have not heard this. I have. Okay. Hey, Sean and Todd. Being LA gentlemen yourselves, you only get to play one golf course in SoCal for the rest of your life. Where's it going to be? Todd, how about you answer first again? Oh, man, I knew you were going to do that. You know what? I'm probably going to go with... I'm going to go with Lakeside. Solid, solid answer. I've only Um, played it once. I've only played it once, but, you know, if I had to be there for the rest of my life, it's a pretty good place to be. Their tradition is the condition. It's one of the greenest pieces of property you're going to see in L.A., when you fly over it, it's stunning how green it is. You get to see Universal Studios in the background. You got the Cal Fire people flying their helicopters all over that place seemingly all the time. I mean, I don't know. I think if I'm thinking about playing a course every day, I'm probably taking Riviera. Riviera is a much easier walk than LACC. I think it's much more peaceful as far as the location because it's in the Palisades in a valley. And obviously it's in amazing condition and there's no one there each day that I've played it, been fortunate to play it. There's only a handful of groups and Larry David, right? So you see Larry complaining, yelling about something and you just kind of laugh like, wow, he actually is the same guy from Curb Your Enthusiasm in real life. And then you see a handful of other groups. Um, you pretty much have the place to yourself. They have the best smoothie, the Jeffrey at the, uh, at the turn. Um, shout out to my friend, Jeff, happy birthday. And, um, it's just a great place to test your game every day. You hit every different shot possible and it's arguably the easiest of all the walks, uh, the LA courses. I haven't played either. So keep me in mind, Sean. Mm. Uh, mm. <laughs> I don't think I'm number one on your list, right? I got a, I got a list, but I'm number one on, on my list. Yeah. You got, I mean, you can look <laughs> up the number one, don't you? Right. You gotta. Last week, we talked about uh, 
uh, a Golf Digest related post on social media that said the average course yardage you'd need to play in order to feel like Rory McElroy was 5,600 yards. Relative so, to our ball speed, yeah. Relative to our ball speed uh, and our dis- driving distance, which for me is pretty much 250. Um, so we have chosen a course here in Los Angeles. It's called Los Robles Greens, a.k.a. The Goblin. Um, it sets up perfectly for us from the white tees at 5,600. Um, we've got, we've done a lot of work. We've, uh, we've got three incredibly talented filmmakers, um, ready to film our very first golfing extravaganza. You know, I want to see if our scores are lower. Uh, I am expecting to shoot par. That's my expectation. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Bob Rotella, um, you know, some of his books, he, he talks about moving up tees and that, you know, the further up you go, it really doesn't affect your score. Uh, you probably shoot the same number. Uh, right, right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that. Just depending on, on handicap. Obviously it's all going to come down to putting, right. And how close can we hit the wedges? If you're inside 10 feet, you know, you're only going to make between, I don't know, 20 and 40% of those putts, right? You go three feet. I mean, even you and me are going to make like 85% of them. Tour players literally make 99% from, from three feet, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I think the big advantage is the par fives are going to play like 400 yards. So a birdie is par there. And I think it's reasonable to... For me, I'm going to guess I'm going to shoot two or three over par, but I think if I can make a couple birdies early, then I have a legitimate run at breaking par. It's just how I start is usually what it comes down to. So we'll see. Yeah, we've had a bit of rain here lately, but the weather in Los Angeles is warming up, so that's going to be even better for us uh, off the tee. For sure. Um, Los Robles Greens. Um, You know what? It's super underrated here in Los Angeles. I absolutely love that course. And the reason I do is because of the green complexes, the bunkering, and the greens are just so pure. 365 days a year. Yep. So it's a municipal golf course. My understanding, because I had spoken to, I think he was the mayor of Thousand Oaks, actually, uh, when I went to this charity golf tournament there for the first time and I saw it. They said it. they put a million dollars into reclaiming all the water. So it's a self-sufficient golf course. And they basically did the Pinehurst route, right? They just took a bunch of sand and waste area and littered the course with that when you're not on the green or the fairway. So they don't have to really do any upkeep and maintenance on any of the places that are adjacent to the golf course. Obviously, it's just a really more sustainable golf course design. And I think Los Robles did a great job with this. And I'm excited to, to show it off a little bit through our narrow window that we have. That's an international window now, apparently. I just love the greens. Like, they're the best greens yeah, great. in Los Angeles. And uh, in, in the best public course greens. In public course, I'll, I'll, I might give you that. They're pretty quick. Pretty damn they're quick. quick. They can be real icy. Our short games are going to be uh, are going to have to be good. All right, weekly recap. Uh, let's recap the week that's just gone. Tiger Woods' new logo is revealed. Uh, awful, awful. Sun day red. Three words. I don't like the logo. 
It looks like a fish that's been basically deboned, like the skeleton of a fish. That's what it looks like to me. And it's it stinks like a dead fish too, in my opinion. No disrespect, Tiger, but you could have done a hell of a lot better. Yeah. Well, let's leave it there. Man, it was getting slammed on social media. There weren't too many fans. Um, The DP World Tour, Rory McIlroy, there we go. He wins the Dubai Desert Classic for the fourth time, shooting nine under in the third round. Um, He's Man, he's in exceptional form right now. Didn't I say, don't worry about Rory? You did. You called it. Over to the PGA Tour. Uh, Technically, as we record this show, the first round of the Farmers Insurance Open has commenced at Torrey Pines. Uh, Kevin Yu is leading after shooting eight under on the north course. Everybody's favorite, Patrick Cantlay, hot with the putter again today. (laughs) One shot behind uh, with seven under on the north course. Um, But enough of that. The big story. Nick Dunlap winning the American Express at PGA West here in uh, Southern California. Yeah, incredible. First amateur to win on the PGA Tour since Phil Mickelson at the Northern Northern Telecom Open in 1991. The first reigning U.S. amateur champion to win on the PGA Tour since Tiger Woods. Who? The youngest player ever to win the Amex event at just 20 years and 29 days old. He gets a two-year exemption on the PGA Tour through... 2026 he secured starts at the players the masters the pga championship and the 2025 century seven signature events this year um should he go pro or should he stay amateur i don't think he went to alabama to play school i'd agree with you you know, like if if you're going to play at that level, like the whole point is to make the PGA Tour. And if you get the elevator to move up early, you know, like what do you go back to Alabama for? It's great to have those, you know, goals to with your teammates to win an NCAA or something like that. But I mean, these guys know what they want. You don't go to Alabama to play for fun, at least anymore, right? With NIL and you know, the amount of money that's waiting for you at the professional level. I mean, he could easily make five to $10 million realistically in the next year and a half, unless yeah. he just loses it, which we know these guys don't really lose it anymore. And uh, you can always go back to Alabama and get your graduate, you know, you know have your, uh, get your diploma, even he's if you're a professional. He's not going to do that. He's going pro, I think. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a foregone conclusion. Um, There's no reason not to. No, exactly. I mean, God, he put on a, a clinic uh, in round three, shooting 60. It was just, it was an incredible win. I mean, he's paired in the final group with Sam Burns and Justin Thomas. Um, he showed a few nerves on the front nine uh, with a double bogey. Um, but the big question of the final round really was, would he be able to handle the pressure or would he crumble? But with three holes to play, he's trailing Burns by one. And then uh, and then Dunlap makes a birdie on 16 um, to join Burns at 29 under. They move to the par 3 17th, uh, which is essentially a replica of TPC Sawgrass, um, the 17th of TPC Sawgrass. Uh, it's an island green called Alcatraz with uh, <laughs> rocks all the way around. Um, Dunlap hits the green. Uh, he's got a 30 footer. Um, he, you know, 
he was a bit relieved when he hit the green. Thomas is pin high left. Uh, he's got a 15-footer, and then Sam Burns steps up to the tee, and it's good night. He pushes the ball into the water. Um, that was absolutely absurd, and it's like I'm watching it, and I'm like, this kid's in the box seat now. He's um, All he's got to do is bring it home. And then there was still the question of can he bring it home? Burns ends up making a double. Dunlap makes his par. He's got a one-stroke lead going into the final hole, not knowing that Christian Bezadenout has walked off with uh, at 28 under after birdieing 18. And then you can see the final hole nerves kicking in. <laughs> uh, Dunlap sprays his ball way right. He obviously wanted he's overcompensating for not wanting to go anywhere near the water on the left. And then Sam Burns just totally implodes and pulls his tee shot into the water. Like that was I didn't think that was gonna happen. And then he plays a hybrid uh from the drop zone and he fudges that too. It was just incredible. Uh Dunlap wasn't in great position on his approach. Leaves got a crazy bounce. Yeah, got a crazy bounce off a spectator's forehead, I think, um, <laughs> and ends up with a having to get up and down, basically, to win the tournament and gives himself a nervous six-footer. But, man, he just – I was I, – I was just praying that he was going to make it because, look, what a win. And he makes it. Yeah, and I don't think he goes to the playoff and wins. Because I know it was so hot at that point, you yeah. know. And, I mean, he ends up walking away with all the money too. So, you know, who cares if he didn't win, I guess, right? It's not a PGA win, but it's, it's a win for the wallet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I was just hoping that he would make it because it's always fun to watch history. It's a big moment. I mean, it's been, what, 33 years since that's happened, 32 years since it's happened. So, it's awesome I think it's hysterical that, you know, as someone who's played that course in the video game, to hear all of the analysts say how easy of a golf course it is, and these guys are shooting literally 29, 30 under par. Like, you take a five handicap out there, and they're not going to, you know, they're going to struggle to break 90 because there's just disaster on every shot. There's water, there's rocks, there's that dormant Bermuda, there's side hill lies. But for these tour players, they, I mean, it's just, it, again, I am going to make a point to bring this up as often as I can for the elite level player, whether you're an M or you're a tour player or you're on live or you're on the PGA tour, or you're playing in majors, the golf game itself has gotten easy, easier and easier because of the knowledge, the equipment, the mindset, the psychology, um, Everything has been reduced down to a putting contest. Nick won the putting contest this week, making, I don't have the number in front of me. What do you make? Like 35, 36 birdies? You know, I mean, it's just insane over four days. Um, and with Sam Burns, you know, I, I say golf is really easy. Well, it's still golf and bad shots will happen. And the bad shots are so penalizing when you're trying to shoot 30 under par that you get two or three bad swings and you make two double bogeys and you go from 28 or 29 under to 25 under 24 under. And, you know, you still shot 25 under par. <laughs> it's not like he was playing badly. He just, 
you know, unfortunately for him, he kind of, you know, had something in his mind um, during that moment and it didn't come through. And there's a million reasons why we could speculate, but at the end of the day, golf is golf still yeah. capable of hitting bad shots. But if an amateur at 20 years old can literally shoot 29 under par and beat an entire field of tour players with the amateurs there as that distraction for the first, you know, three days on four or three different golf courses. I mean, that's, that just goes to show you that it's not quite the same as it used to be, in my opinion. No. I mean, look, there was just no defense, no wind, uh, dormant Bermuda, no defense for that golf course. And those guys were ripping it up. Um, I gotta say, I was, I was just expecting Dunlap to crumble. I was expecting Sam Burns to finish. He's done it before, but Hey, there's that little niggling thought that, you know, just gets in your head at the wrong time. And it's good night, Dick. (laughs) That's one way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. how about Justin Thomas though? Justin Thomas, 61 in the third round. I mean, six birdies in a row on the back nine. He was uh, in exceptional form. I mean, look, JT scoring average in the last 10 rounds is 66.5. His previous 32-round scoring average was 71.09. Four and a half strokes better in his last 10 rounds. Like, he's he's back in form. I think that's good for the PGA Tour. He's, I mean, yeah, he's great. Like he is one of those guys that has that next level shot making ability that only 10 or 12 guys on tour realistically possess. Right. And it's because of guys like Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth uh, and, and, you know, countless other elite players, obviously Tiger, Scheffler, we'll talk Rom, we'll talk, you know, even Shoffley hits amazing shots all the time. That's what sells the TV contracts. You know, Justin Thomas, I think, is a perfect TV golfer and yeah. he's a great golfer, but he hits sh- shots that people have no business trying to hit and he makes them look routine. And when you have firepower like that, and especially you have the confidence, you might as well go for it and put on a show, right? And that's what makes, I think, his upside so high. And you know, you miss a couple of those high risk, high reward shots. You know, Phil's a good example too of a guy who just took crazy shots all the time, and sometimes he'd hit them, and oftentimes he'd miss them. You know, there's a lot more variance in that type of player, um, but that's what creates drama, and that's what gets eyeballs. You know, so guys like Justin Thomas are paramount to to having on the PGA Tour. That's what keeps the fans going, and he's just an electric factory when he's playing well. It's great to see. Yeah, I, I think I thing I really like about Justin Thomas is the fact that, you know, he's an exceptional ball striker. You look at his swing and there's not there's not a lot you can pick apart in his golf swing, but um he's very clinical when he needs to be, but man, he has got some shots that not a lot of other golfers can can hit. And they're exciting shots as well. Yeah, exciting shot making is always gonna be one of the reasons why people are so fascinated with watching others hit this little white ball around the earth. Yeah. Um, speaking of exciting shot making, and I don't want to go back to Tory Pines, but we love Tiger Woods on this show. It's clearly evident. Um, you know, I was watching the 2008 US Open again because I'm absolutely obs- obsessed with it. Um, I'm watching the back nine, 15th hole. Tiger Woods, he's playing with a 
with a broken leg. This is this is day five of this tournament. He's got a broken leg. Sprays his drive way right into the adjacent the adjacent fairway bunker. And he's got 190 yards in. Rocco Mediates already hit the green after being on the fairway. Crowds standing all around. Tiger's got a got a pipe to go down and a broken leg in the bunker, and he just rips this draw to 12 feet. And it's just when you thought you'd seen every Tiger Woods shot in the in the book, um, you know, and you think you got your top 10, you'll see another one, and it's just like, man. That's the that's one of the best Tiger Woods shots I've ever seen. Like under he's that got, pressure, he, he's got a couple. Yeah, he's had a few. He's had a few. All right, let's move along. Let's talk equipment. The PGA show is going on right now in uh, Orlando, Florida. Um, wow! Just today, the USA Golf Team launched its new Jay Lindbergh uniforms. Yay or nay? Just give me a yay or nay. Nay. Yeah, you don't like Jay Lindbergh. Hey, I I dig it. Look, the USA team can look like Victor Hovland for a while. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough look. It's like an abstract, you know, 3D magic eye puzzle. Yeah. I mean, I just don't I, – I don't know why we have to bastardize the American flag the way we do in this country. You know, it's like technically not even legal, supposedly, to wear the flag. And yet these companies continue to innovate ways to destroy old glory. And it's like, dude, just wear basic colors and slap a flag patch on the shoulder. I mean, that's literally all you got to do. And they just go nuts with these color schemes. And it drives me insane. You know, I want reverence when I look at the flag. I don't want to look and be like, oh, my God, they're making a, a mockery of it again. But I guess that's the world we live in. Well, look, let's hope in 2028 it's Melbourne. <laughs> oh, boy. It'd be like the Brookline Ryder Cup outfits. Yeah. Oh, man, that that was crazy. Um, big news, Fujikura Ventus Blue is has been announced this week. Um, that's probably going to be, well, the first of upgrades, I think, for uh, for Fujikura with the Ventus. Um Talk to me a little bit more about the blue. Where, where mean, is it positioned in in the Fujikura Ventus lineup? Yeah, so it's different than the Ventus TR. So this is basically the replacement for the OG Ventus. And it's a mid-launch shaft, right? That's what the blue basically suggests. And that's pretty consistent through every different company. But essentially, like... Ventus's identity and the reason why it's been so popular on tour for now several years and so valuable for club fitters like myself is it gives you a very stable, very twist resistant tip section. It's really hard to make a tip section on a driver shaft stiff and uh, stable on a miss hit because of the diameter of that tip. And Velocor is the material that kind of has bumped up the stability of those small diameter shaft tip sections. So a blue is going to give you a little bit more dynamic loft than a black profile, a little bit less than a red profile, but it's still going to provide you that stiffness in the tip. And as someone who's fit thousands of people, uh, tip stiff shafts either work for a player or they don't very obviously and very quickly you can identify this. 
And it's just a fabulous tool to have. I think it's probably best for more of a rotational swinger than someone who uses uh, an early release with their hands. I feel like players who have a little bit more of a, a handsy swing, that club face tends to follow their hands with a Ventus style shaft, which is not necessarily a good fit for at least half of the players from what I witness. Um, you see about a 35% market share on tour last time I checked with Ventus. So it does cover a pretty dramatic size of the swath of tour players from event to event. Um, but then again, like, you know, it's all about the matchup as well. It's just another great tool. And, you know, if Fujikora's, you know, put a lot of R&D behind it, they've tested it. They can prototype these things really quickly down in Carlsbad where they do a lot of prototype testing prior to releasing a model in full. And uh, this will be another very successful product. I'm sure of it. Oh, I'm absolutely sure. I mean, uh, initial testing that I've seen, um, Fuji, you know, with the new Ventus Blue, um, it, it looks like it's assisting a little more, um, being able to deliver some some more club head speed. Um, from what I've seen, there's been some some distance gains. Uh, with blue versus the the previous blue or the OG blue, uh, and even the TR, I believe. But um, this is going to be the first of of I believe an upgrade for the entire OG line. So, mm. um, Srixen announced some putters. Um, they're called Never Compromise. Four different head shapes um, coming in both silver and black. I gotta say. I, I don't know whether they're going to you know, whether they're going to take a lot of market share, but well, look, the never compromise putters were awesome back in like the early two thousands. Um, I remember VJ played one for a long time. They made a never compromise putter that was maybe two inches wide. It just had this tiny little center section on the end of the stick, and you saw some players at least attempt to use it. Uh, the silver part, I don't remember what material it was. But man, that felt so nice, and it was a great um, it was a it was a great alternative to the white hot, which was hot at that time, and obviously the milled face putters that you still see today. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, you're, they're reintroducing you know a product that used to exist. There's probably still some nostalgia to it, but um, it's hard. Putting is you know putters are like people. You know, you have to look down at the at the putter and feel good about it, have it communicate back to you, have it help you line up properly. Um, you know, any new uh, foray into the putting world has a chance to do well. It just depends on how the market, you know, accepts it. Yeah. Um, Scotty Cameron uh, releasing new line of Phantoms. Uh, the X9 took my eye. I know you uh, you thought it looked a little ugly, but you know at the moment I'd I'd definitely give it a try. Just like the double line look and uh, the fact that it's a single bend, I think I am just at the moment resisting what is inevitable. Um, <laughs> I'd love to give that putter a try. Um, Bedinardi, um, they they've teased some new putters uh, releasing tomorrow, which is the 25th of January. That'll be at the PGA Show. Any other PGA show announcements? I mean, there's so much, um, so much stuff getting announced right now. It's kind of a little bit of overload. I understand your Kirkland signatures are at the PGA show. 
Yes, my Kirkland signatures made it to the PGA show. Um, Seamus Golf, I uh, I built some irons for. Well, pimped out some some Kirkland irons for Seamus. Um, so you can spot them on their social media channel. They've been wheeling around in a cart in a local Florida Florida Costco, um, <laughs> doing the rounds. Um, you see the head cover Landon did. Yeah. It was really cool. It's really good. Seamus really Golf in the in the same style as Kirkland Signature looked really awesome, or Costco Wholesale, I should say. Yeah. But a uh, cool thing to to check out if you end up down at the PGA Show this week. Probably better than uh, better quality than the um, Kirkland Golf Balls, according to my golf spy. Um, any, we'll talk about that in a sec. <laughs> any new gear that's landed at TrueSpec this week? Um, I didn't really see any left-handed stuff this week, unfortunately, as usual. But uh, we got all the dark speed uh, fairy woods. Again, they look so cool. You got to give Cobra a lot of credit. I mean, you know, they're constantly like trying to compete with some of the big boys and you don't see as much of an adaptation towards them. And yet they continue to release truly great, awesome products. Their titanium dark speed fairy woods are at just a lower price point than Ping's and TaylorMade's. Titanium is starting to get into the fairway wood game. I believe they even have a seven wood out of titanium, which is pretty wild. Um, and then Ping's Blueprint and Blueprint S irons landed. And I always am a believer that Ping is kind of the most polarizing uh, brand of all the major manufacturers, just in their look and their feel. The Blueprint looks so cool. It's like a shark skin golf club. It's super thin, um, definitely not for everybody, but I think from just like the way that they produced the matte finish on it, it is sharp and it's a very small golf club. The Blueprint S, a little wider, kind of a proper cavity back option for someone who is not quite a tour player who needs, you know, insane spin rates. But, um, you know, some interesting products, obviously, and, you know, it's fun to just get the new toys I would love to see the blueprints. I would love to hit the blueprints. I mean, I, I think you would actually really like them. Yeah, I, I would. I, the original blueprints, I really enjoyed hitting. I just, I'm not going to play them. I'm not yeah. I mean, look, them. if you want to hit the ball 10 yards shorter than you already do, like you should really consider them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not hitting it. I'm not hitting it very far. I'm, I'm, I couldn't hit it shorter. That's all right. That's I all right. Do that, but, um, all right, look, uh, that's a bit of an equipment wrap-up, but something that you may or may not have seen this week, my golf spy um, absolutely crucified the new Kirkland version 3 ball uh, in their testing. Um, really interesting results. Weight consistency in the poor range. Let me just uh, take a step back. This is per box. Weight consistency issues, compression consistency issues, and we're talking compression ranging from 88 to 103 across the sample range. <laughs> Diameter inconsistencies of the golf ball, um, and 3% of the balls exceeded the USGA's weight limit. I mean, what impact does those different, what impact does those differences make to? a player that just goes out and buys a set of Kirkland balls. Well, I mean, it's as simple as if you think, you know, your carry distance, you don't anymore because each ball that you're playing flies differently. 
at the end of the day, this is ballistics, right? And golf balls are isolated systems that you do, in theory, have control over how they fly, right? And, you know, when you're trying to compete against publicly traded companies like Titleist, who make millions of these golf balls every year and put tens, dozens, hundreds of millions of dollars towards their R&D and production over the last 20 years to get to the point where they're at now, you know, the economies of scale are just against you. And if you try and cheapen the process and offer golf balls for what, $17 per dozen, I think that's what it is for the Kirklands. Like the chances that they're going to be, you know, that perfect isolated system every time, it, they just can't possibly produce that level of quality at that price point. And yeah. I think it's just important to be aware of. I don't think it matters for the client who likes buying the Kirkland Signature Ball. Um, you know, we're still talking about, you know, if you play golf balls that are different weights, different compressions, every single hole, does that equal you shooting 10 shots worse? No, but it's definitely going to cost you at least a shot or two each time you play. And with, as the mar- as you start getting better and you're more and more focused on being a really good golfer, this stuff matters more and more and more every single time. Um, yeah, but for some that, of the people, that, don't they don't care? Yeah, I think that's really important. Like, if you are serious about um, your game and improving your game, Kirklands aren't the way to go. Um, there is a reason Titleist is the number one golf ball on tour. They basically have a Xerox machine that spits out the same golf ball every single time they build one, and that's yeah. why they're expensive. But that's why they're worth it to the discerning player who actually cares. You know, my my dad, I'm going to pick on him for a second. Like he goes out and finds a bunch of golf balls in the woods that live through New England winters under snow. And sometimes he'll hit a ball and be like, man, that didn't fly very well. And it's like, yeah, no kidding. (laughs) The ball has been buried under a foot and a half of snow in 20 degree weather for six months. And it's got mud on it. (laughs) Like, you know, Pro V1, if you throw it underwater, it's going to survive for a bit. But eventually it's going to deteriorate a smidge. And if something were to, you know, like you change temperature, right? Uh, You pack it under snow. You have high temperatures, low temperatures, wet conditions, dry conditions. The golf ball is going to take attacks from that, you know, uh, environment. And all it takes is it to warp the slightest bit and it's not going to fly the same. And it always makes me laugh, right? I mean, we've all seen it. Players go into the woods, they find a ball, they go, oh, I like this ball. I'm going to play this. And they hit a shot and all of a sudden the apex is 20 feet lower, (laughs) right? And they're like, wait, I I thought I hit a good shot there. It's like, I don't know how to explain this any more bluntly, but the golf ball really matters. And if you don't understand that, I, I don't know what else I can do to, you know, prove it to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're serious about your game, standardize on a golf ball and make sure you standardize on something that's actually good. Um, look, the mic, and I'm not ragging on, I'm not ragging on Kirkland's. I'm really not. I mean, look, they serve their purpose, but we're serious golfers. And I think the people that are listening, you know, uh, are also serious golfers, like serious about improving their scores. And um, you just got to be aware that if you just plan Kirkland's like, you're not going to get the same ball, ball to ball. And that's pretty much the end of it. 
Um, mm -hmm. My Golf Spice summary, quote, while this may be a value-based urethane ball, if you're seeking the utmost in performance, you may want to look elsewhere. Uh, <laughs> quote, quote, those inconsistencies will likely translate to inconsistencies on the course. Yeah, and I don't think it, that affects their sales numbers one bit. No, I really don't. Not at, all. not at all. I mean, I don't think you can buy any golf ball that cheap. You can't. Uh, but a golf ball is not a golf ball. Yeah. End of story. Okay, we're coming towards the end of the show. Um, we're going to do rapid fire again. Um, I have five questions for you. You okay. ready? I'm ready. If you went on vacation and had to rent clubs, but they were only right-handed, would you play them? I would really like to play around right-handed and see if I could break 100. I can actually hit a shorter club, like a pitching wedge, pretty straight but it only goes about a hundred yards. I would give it a shot under the right circumstances, but I finally have three days on vacation and I have to play right. Like I won't do that. It's a tough yeah. ask. I think, I think I'd rather do the right-handed challenge in the comfort of my own life instead of on vacation. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, it doesn't have to be on vacation. Sure. Yeah. That was just, you know, I was setting the scene. I was setting the scene. No doubt. No doubt. And you might be down in, in Cabo, somewhere there with a nice golf course. <laughs> uh, question number two. What's the fastest green you've ever putted on? What course? Uh, I would say the first hole at the country club at Brookline. I hit, um, I, this is the first time I ever played it. I've only played it twice. I played nine holes after an event that my friend invited me to. I hit it into the rough. I chopped it up short of the green, hit a, a pitching wedge or a, a sand wedge from about 70 yards, saw it check. It released a little bit past the hole, and I had a five-footer back towards the hole, and I barely touched this thing, and it rolled 25 feet off the green. And I was like, I don't – at that point, I think it was the first time I had played a golf course like that, you know, a proper U.S. Open test at 13s or whatever. That one's probably the one that sticks out to me the most. I'll give a special shout out to the third hole at Satakoy. Um, that is also one of the fastest, most lightning impossible greens I've ever seen. And when they put the flag on the left side, um, you have very little hope of getting it close to the hole. And you will put off the green multiple times if you're not careful. Damn. I'll give a special mention to Sandpiper. I mean, those greens are concrete, dude. Can be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, most embarrassing golf shot? Mm. Um, missing a two-footer uh, to save par on a short par five during my high school tryout when the coach rolls up and parks the cart staring down at me and I have a two-footer and I miss the hole by like an inch and a half. Um, I think I shot 54 on the front nine that day. It was, it was quite an experience. I was a little kid. It happens to the best of us, bro. Um, I, still, I still live in that moment. It was not a good moment. I think my most embarrassing golf shot was uh, PGA West, Nicholas Course, first hole, three people that I've never met before, um, and I just domed it 30 yards left, and I had no idea why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um took a breakfast bowl i was on vacation um 
Next question, Rapify, who's you pick to win the Super Bowl? I feel like, and I don't like the, this answer, but I feel like the Ravens are going to win. I'm rooting for the Lions. I've been a Lions fan since I was a little kid. I have the starter jacket from middle school to prove it back in my parents' house. Um, this New England boy used to root for Barry Sanders all the time that my dad even got NFL Sunday ticket for me when we couldn't afford it just so I could watch him in the early to mid-1990s. And uh, for them to come all this way and have a chance to make the Super Bowl is pretty wild. I still think they can beat San Francisco, honestly, but I don't know. I, I think, you know, if if Debo Samuel plays, I, I just don't know if the Lions have the horses. But I'm rooting for them, and, uh, but I feel like Lamar is going to take it this year. They can't – no one can stop him. Well, if it's Lions uh, – I'm a 49ers fan, bro. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I love the Steve Young teams. I would love to see a sixth Super Bowl. I think I mean, this year is about as good a year as we're going to get. Yeah, um, they, they've had the best team all year, but they just can't stay healthy. They get banged up so easily. And it just seems like Brock Purdy can't really hold on to the football when it's raining. And I think it's supposed to rain on uh, on Sunday. It was a lucky win. It was San Francisco were 0 and 38 uh, when trailing uh, at the at the start of the fourth quarter. And now they're yeah. 1 and 38. Packers gave so. it to them. Yeah. Um, last question. Who's your pick to win the FedEx Cup? Early call. Just give me the name. I mean, Scotty Scheffler. Not going to do it. Too easy. Too easy. No. Scotty's going to win I'll, four times this year again. I'll bet you 10 bucks now Scheffler's not winning the FedEx Cup. What are my odds? I mean, it's Scheffler versus the field. I, I need to have some odds here. Well, it's just you and me. 10 bucks. 10 bucks? I'll bet you, I'll bet you 10 bucks. I don't gamble. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. 10 bucks. Yeah, yeah he's going to take the 10 bucks. I'm the worst. I'm the worst bet. Don't worry. Um, all right. Sean Fagan, we're going to love you and leave you. Thank you so much for your time, my man. I really appreciate it. I am really looking forward to next week when we uh, when we feel like Rory for a day. That's going to be a really fun day at Lost Robles. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and it'll be fun to have uh, my game fully exposed through the camera lens, too, because I don't know about you, but I've never really watched myself you know, on camera play a round of golf before. So this is going to be a real learning experience. And I do feel like every golfer should have some game tape, you know, I mean, think about it, right? Like all the tour players, they can go back on YouTube and watch the shots that they've hit. They say, Hey, I remember I was thinking this and I saw this and I, oh, I, I noticed this in my swing here. Every sport you talk, you, you hear the coaches, you hear the athletes, they talk about, you know, I was watching film. I was watching tape. I understand this, the X and O's, right? Playing externally. Um, as amateur golfers, we don't have the luxury of a production around our games. And I think it'll be wildly fascinating and super informative to actually watch from some different angles that they're going to capture us in. And we can really kind of more objectively look at all of the flaws in our game. And I, I'm really interested to see how long my backswing gets because that's always my problem. Um, I'm going to hear myself, I'm sure, mutter a bunch of you know expletives under my breath. I'm going to try my best to smile for the camera, but um, I want to see what my body language is and um, see what how my posture changes throughout the day as I get a little bit more fatigued. 
think these are going to be really important factors. Like when trying to get to be a better player, if you don't have that game tape, it's hard to really like have an objective look at what happened, you know? So I think for me, that's going to be the best, the best learning experience of this whole thing. And somehow we've, we've convinced our friends to actually waste their day filming us. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't know how we quite pulled that one off. (laughs) I'll give you the credit for it. I, my swing is what it is. It's not, it's not very attractive and I'm a scrambler and that's all there is to it. I'm not looking forward to seeing my own swing. <laughs> I ain't changing it at this point. Um, Here you. Uh, it's going to be one hell of a great day. Yeah. Uh, it'll be great to uh, have everyone see us introduced as actual golfers. Um, thank you all so much for listening wherever you are. It's been a thrill to uh to see where this goes and it's a lot of fun talking golf with my friend todd yeah we'll be back earlier next week um need need my beauty sleep before uh before the rory day um thanks for listening to episode three of imposter syndrome uh thank you sean my fantastic co-host uh please subscribe and leave a review wherever you can we need your reviews we need five stars we need uh we need all the help we can get we're just two scrubbers just winging it um every uh every review is worth more than you know uh you can follow us on instagram or at imposter golf pod you can find us on YouTube at Imposter Golf Pod if you want to watch us do this. Yeah, that's where we are. We're on YouTube. You can follow me on Instagram at Encino Golf Lab. Uh, you can follow Sean uh, SKF Golf on Instagram. Uh, if you have any questions, send us a DM on Instagram at Imposter Golf Pod or contact at ImpostorGolfPod.com. There we go. All right. No one's listening by this point. Everyone switches off before the credits. Uh, we're going to put some side wages on the Rory day. Um, is it going to be me or Sean, but until next week, drive safely and straight.